case file number 1.01, Operation Ghost Click, observed by Agent Crenshaw. Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subject of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So, Ymir, tell me about the Internet Police. The Internet Police? Yes. We're talking like uh, MPAA coming after me for uh, streaming music over Twitch or something like that? Yeah, when whenever anything bad happens, uh, sometimes you'll hear a layman go, I'm going to call the Internet Police on you or the police on you or something like that. And uh, a thing that we all know is that law enforcement in the uh, on the Internet is pretty much down to copyright compliance. And that's uh-huh. not even law enforcement. That's all civil um, yeah. law enforcement at any level internationally or any individual nation isn't very strong. There have been actions, but there isn't an organization that exists that is right. the Internet police or anything really close to it. Yeah, I mean, um, that's how I got away with pirating for yeah. God knows how many years in my teens. There is a website, internetpolice.us. It oh, really? was, yeah, it was started by um, Rob Graham, Paul McMillan, and uh, Dan Tendler as a joke because those are the guys <laughs> that uh, do a lot of uh, mass scanning of the internet. And they got so many people responding to them and pounding mm, on their okay. networks about you know calling the internet police on them that they put up this website, which is they just a just... form that does nothing. <laughs> so because we know that there's no internet police... What happens when there's a botnet or some other kind of widespread hack that affects users all over the all, all over the internet, all over the globe? I only know of like pirating websites and how we just desperately try to tell Russia to please, for the love of God, take them down, and they never do. But yeah, there's no like Geneva Convention or NATO of the internet to or, you know, or even Interpol kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And Russia does participate in Interpol. They use it maliciously. They red tag their political, uh, their, the people that they politically have problems with. Uh, oh, so they can't do never, international uh, travel. It's, I would never it's think of Russia doing that. Putin on the Ritz. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this is the story about Operation Ghost Click and the network it took down. Hmm, okay. I'm going to give a little bit of credit to Brian Krebs, ESET, Trend Micro, Sombers and Associates with WH Highly uh, Man, uh, because they all had a lot of really useful information here. None of, I don't think any of them told the whole story, but I couldn't have put this together without them. What we're talking about is a Trojan called DNS Changer. Uh, it was an operation from about 2007 to 2012 when it was taken down. And uh, Mike, there was actually a report that Microsoft had observed it as early as 2006. Hmm, okay. So part of this is that it was a, that this kind of thing was an operation for five years without response action being taken. Right. And this is kind of, at least for that time period, the best case scenario. Things have gotten a little bit better since. Um, and we're actually not going to talk about kind of the most recent kind of response actions. This wasn't that long ago, and it was known to be an operation for at least five years, and it took a really long time to take down. 
So this was the infection. It wasn't an attack. It wasn't an exploit. It was what those things would drop. And they actually came in in several vectors. There were phishing emails. There was a codec. Uh, some adult sites would host video files or fake video files that wanted a codec. Okay. That codec installer installed the Trojan. When you initially <laughs> said codec, my thoughts immediately went to Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. The codec is the decoding protocol for a given kind of uh, audio or video file. This is how you use different forms of compression and sampling and stuff like that. MP3 uses a codec and that kind of fun. Another interesting part about this is that some of the installers that some of the Trojan installers actually affected Macs. Really? And that can, That's yeah. Pretty surprising. Yeah, I was actually surprised to learn that, even though I, I, knew, a, I knew a little bit about this from when the takedown happened. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that it affected Macs all the way back then. So even back when people were saying, there's no malware for Macs, <laughs> <laughs> there was. And there was also uh, the Kubeface organization, what's sometimes called Kubeface Inc., uh, which does a lot of social network hosting scams and, and occasionally even legitimate stuff on social networking various uh, through various vectors. Uh, they distributed DNS changer as well. And what it would do is when it would infect you, it would change your DNS server. It like literally was that simple. It wasn't hidden from your configuration at all. Mm -hmm. And if somebody had control of your DNS resolution, what kinds of things do you think they could do? Well, I mean, they could swap out google.com to whatever they want to host. Yep, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you're mentioning this because I, I literally just had a teaching gig interview where I talked about DNS and gave a lesson on that. And this was one of my examples was if someone maliciously changed your server, they could have you go wherever the hell they want. Yeah, and there's several examples of where this is a, a problem there, uh, but this is one of the big ones. These guys did some stuff where, where they replaced the DNS resolution for ad servers, and uh, basically they monetize it through pay-for-click. They, um, they redirected users to malicious sites or redirected people to somebody else's representation of Amazon and, 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 and stole the sales. I will just say the ad thing, I've done something vaguely similar on like friends Wi-Fi, where I changed all the advertisements to just be ridiculous meme pictures instead. That kind of thing. And the, um, some folks are familiar with, uh, the system that you were putting together to, to get rid of, uh, uh Oh, the Raspberry Pi Zero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, uh, it's called Pi-hole. Pi-hole. That's the one. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Any system that you would run on your local network to make it so that ad servers aren't served up is essentially doing the same thing that these guys did, except that you're doing it to your network. Mm -hmm. yeah. Another thing that you can do with that is that you can do perfect phishing. If you send a phishing email to the victim, then the URL that you're giving them, they control the resolution. Right. So, so you don't so even have to worry about making it kind of a sketchy, but almost identical URL. Right. We don't know of that happening, but this is the kind of thing that it would allow. Mm -hmm. But also the, the infection itself would do two other things to try and get the rest of the network. One of them is that there were certain Linksys and Cisco routers that they had encoded the default uh, login information, and they'd okay. go and reconfigure the DHCP server <laughs> on the router. Uh, yeah. And the other thing that they would do, and I didn't, I didn't know about this one either, is that the infected system would run a DHCP server and kind of run a race against all of the other uh, dynamic IP clients on the local network, all the everything that was getting a, a DHCP lease from the, from the local network. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So if it won the race, it got to give the yeah. other victim computer the malicious DNS entry. Yeah. And if you have a bunch of clients that are infected, all racing against 
Yeah, you're one actual legitimate one. Chances are they're going to win a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, you start from 50-50, you go up from there, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this was mainly a problem with small offices and individuals, individual like home network stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that's part of the reason why I actually didn't have a huge amount of background on it, because on the enterprise networks that both of us kind of work on now, uh, it's usually not that big a problem. Yeah. Um, but it ended up having... Uh, nearly 4 million infected uh, destinations. And you said this was 2007 to 2012? Yep. The response action uh, happened a little bit earlier, but the full takedown finished in 2012. Hmm. That was more or less a year or two before I started my very first like IT gig, which was working for a managed service provider. So I was <laughs> dealing with like doctor's offices and everything like that. So like I, I just missed this. Well, so this was bad. It infected a lot of things. It wasn't particularly sophisticated from an execution point of view because it was getting people to run things through social engineering. Mm -hmm. It was changing their DNS entry and not actually using any real exploits on the system. This system was more or less working as intended. Most people yeah. don't, especially if it's resolving mm -hmm. and they're going somewhere, they'll never think to check DNS. But even if it's not, 90% of your people, especially in small businesses, yep. don't even know what DNS is. Right. I mean, that's the inevitable problem with IT security is folks at the lower end can't afford dedicated staff. And because they don't really have much dedicated staff, they have the problem of how do you interview for somebody who knows all the things you need to know? Because yeah, chances exactly. are you can't ask good questions at in, in all areas, at the very least, and sometimes only a few areas. Mm -hmm, yeah, Knowing what's bad information security can be really hard the fewer people you have looking at things. Right. So now we're talking about the takedown. Operation Ghost Click, which is an FBI sting operation to deal with this whole botnet. So there's an FBI sting operation started in 2009. So this thing had already been going for at least two years. They did it in conjunction with Microsoft and law enforcement officers internationally, including the Estonian hmm. Police and Border Guard and the National High Tech Crime Unit of the Dutch National Police Agency. Oh, shit. The Dutch are coming out. Well, no, serious. also in this consortium, as it turns out, was the NASA Office of the Inspector General. <laughs> Thought I'd mention. <laughs> we just kind of wandered into and we were like, hey, maybe we can help. Yeah. So uh, the FBI, after two years of investigation and, find, and, and uh, finding things, uh, had an indictment for Esthost and Rove Digital in Estonia. In November 2011, they went in and they seized... The servers, they arrested six Estonian hackers and tried to arrest one Russian hacker who was able to actually run away at that time. He wasn't later apprehended <laughs> from best I can tell. I didn't actually yeah. find firm reference. So it looked like uh, when they did the, the forensics of the servers that they made about $14 million between fraudulent purchases, the pay-for-click volume stuff the ad hijacking and that stuff. That, that's another thing that you can do with DNS services is that you can do ad hijacking. You can say, I'm serving things up for this other ad network. Okay, yeah. Um, this is actually the kind of thing that some less reputable ISPs were known to do. Mm. I'm not going to say for a while. I, uh, I actually don't have firm information on whether or not this is still a common thing. But when you're not getting a result, when you're getting resolution from an ISP, the ISP has the same level of control and they can send you to their ads instead of mm -hmm. Google's ads because Google is not a search company. They're an advertising yeah. company. Well, I always, <laughs> when I, I think it was Comcast when I was on there, anytime you would take a speed test, Comcast would direct you to their speed test and it was always like, yeah, you're like like 800 million gigabyte upload and download. And it's like, yeah. 
No, because uh, I'm literally like yeah. hanging on this webpage. I mean, you can't even make a claim that it's that that it works, uh, or that they're giving you real information if they're doing a speed test from within the network. Because yeah, exactly. The latency and bandwidth constraints come at their peering point, mm -hmm. uh, where they connect to other networks. Yeah. Uh, so about. Uh, according to those estimates, about half a million of the victims were in the U.S., uh, including NASA systems, which is probably why the NASA Inspector General was involved. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. They seized servers in Estonia, New York, and Chicago because they had about half a dozen IP ranges where they where they had servers that were that were serving up their malicious brand of the of of name services. Hmm, okay. But the problem was that you had nearly four million victims. Who, if you just turned off those DNS servers, they don't get name resolution at all. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the indictment was in the Southern District of New York, um, the, the U.S. District Court of, of the Southern District of New York. And part of what was negotiated there was that the FBI actually ran regular DNS servers on those IPs. Oh, just so it didn't break the Internet for everyone? Yes. So, Interesting. So, so, so they took down the bad guys' uh, servers and started doing forensics on them, and they put mm -hmm. up their own DNS servers on the same IPs that were just regular DNS servers. But because, at least at the time, uh, there was this big concern. Actually, it's it, it's a it's kind of a long running concern that the U.S. government doesn't intervene in the in how the internet works. Mm, okay. Uh, because the U.S. government developed a lot of the foundational technology that it's all based on. Right. DARPANET, ARPANET. I mean, that's the reason why we have the Internet Systems Consortium, ISC, and all of the RFC stuff and ICANN for doing uh, IP and, and, and domain registration is that all had to be spun off from the original organization that built the Internet and the Internet Engineering Task Force. All of these organizations came to being because they had to replace what existed to uh, do the initial internet build okay and because the united states government for reasons of commerce and and general you know dragging the world kicking and screaming into the 21st century wants yeah. the world to use the internet and to keep it interconnected and not have anybody kind of run their own internet that isn't connected to everybody else there's yeah, exactly. some level of vested interest for lots of reasons many of which are benign um <laughs> or even altruistic um because of that the United States government has tried to avoid the appearance of meddling with the basic organization and um, structure and infrastructure of the internet. They, they wanted it to not be a U.S. government thing. So they've been very sensitive to taking significant action. This might have something to do with the reason why there isn't more and more aggressive direct action on bad things that are happening on the internet by organizations like the FBI. Right. Well, which it would be the FBI generally although there's other there's lots of law enforcement organizations in the u.s and many of them could actually probably make a uh, a claim to some actions on the on the internet and a lot of them do as it turns out but those are usually against individuals when it comes to seizing ips and domains and stuff like that it took them a long time to decide to do it at all and even when they do do it they do it as constrained as they can so Part of what they worked out with the uh, Southern District of New York was that even though they set up the DNS servers and they were pretty much responsible for them working, they weren't allowed to look at the resolution traffic. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> oh, the fact that, I, that that was a consideration is interesting. It's definitely yeah, the right thing to was, do. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it was even a consideration. 
Yeah. We're, we're in a different world now. <laughs> so they ran those resolution servers until uh, April 9th, 2012. Okay, um, I was going to ask, like, how long were these up? Yeah, they were only up for, for about five months or so. Okay. Um, so in that time, there was a, there was a non-trivial amount of news. The FBI had uh, served up a PDF of how to look for and, and deal with, the, uh, with infection of DNS changer what mm-hmm. the IPs were, what, how to look at your DNS settings and stuff like that. Did they, because like in my mind, like as the cutoff kind of came closer and closer, I would just make a fake website that says, you know, like, hey, this is how you change your DNS. Your DNS has been like hacked and everything resolves to that at that point. Uh, but I, I didn't see anything that, that mentioned that they did any kind of uh, redirection or served up a notification using that. Right. Setting. So April 9th, 2012, this was basically all over. They successfully extradited the hackers and tried and convicted the, them for running the network and doing the fraudulent actions. And they were sentenced to about to seven years in prison, or the leader was sentenced to seven years in prison in April of 2016. So he's still in prison now, best I can okay. tell. Yeah, I would say, you know, another two years when he gets out or whatever, and <laughs> find a like, fairly lucrative job in the security industry. But since this wasn't like super technical. Well, the other thing was he was actually, he had a criminal record in Estonia for previous hmm. credit card frauds and stuff. So I don't know that he's going to make it in uh, yeah, the industry. Not. Some of the other guys, I don't know, but the leader definitely had a, had a track record that does not lend itself to getting a job in the InfoSec world nowadays. Yeah. But there was also a replay of this type of attack in 2014 to 2016 called Stagano. And this one was actually a pretty sophisticated thing. This was pretty cool. Couldn't find any details on the exact vulnerability for this, but they were able to encode JavaScript into part of a PNG file, what the alpha channel, which is what determines how opaque the image was. And side by side, you could barely discern a difference in tint, but you okay. wouldn't notice otherwise. Um, if you were just served up the image, you wouldn't, the image didn't look weird, but it would run this JavaScript on your local system. And it would tell whether or not you were running a system vulnerable to its second stage downloader, which was targeting Internet Explorer uh, 11 and prior. You said the name was Stegato? Stegano. Stegano. Okay, so a play on steganography. Yes, because it was a steganographic attack. Gotcha. And steganographic, for those who don't know, steganography, for those who don't know, is the study of hiding messages in other data. And there's lots of research and, uh, and a lot of uh, little tools for encoding messages in image files and other analog data files in ways that don't really change how it's presented, the, the audio or the video, but do have uh, short text messages inside yeah. without... Or zip yeah. files. I want someone a picture that was like 4.4 gigs because it was an ISO embedded inside the picture. That's funny. Um, <laughs> and... You could do that as long as you weren't breaking the block boundary of the mm-hmm. of the compression blocks, because it would just basically skip over the parts that didn't agree with the compression. And in all of those formats, you have what looks like digital noise if you're just looking at it in binary, because unless you're looking at the codec, you can't tell what the data actually is. Yeah. So characters are no different than anything else in the ASCII set. Anyway, back to Stagano. So if you were a vulnerable thing, it would make a web request for you in the browser, making a hidden iframe 
and it exploited issues in IE and Flash to exploit the malware, which would do the DNS changer thing. And it would also try and do the router compromise of several other routers. D-Link, Netgear, CompTrend, and Pirelli routers were all victims of this. I, I am surprised that both Internet Explorer and Flash were... I know. Taking advantage of you, well, the one of the top three of that era of of uh, big vulnerabilities was Adobe. Adobe owned Flash at the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sh- Shockwave Macromedia got bought mm-hmm. got bought by Adobe, and Adobe had lots of fun uh, dealing with vulnerabilities in Flash and Acrobat for many years after. They really yeah. had a ton of reported vulnerabilities in their systems, and it was pretty dangerous leading to kind of a funny irony, which was that for secure document sharing, everybody wants to use PDFs because they can't be messed with easily or as easily. But Acrobat Reader had several security problems for over a period of years. Yep. Anyway, so this thing got dealt with and didn't require the FBI, but, we, but there was some takedown stuff that took down the Stagano DNS changer worm. But part of how it spread, how it was spread was that these malicious PNG files are actually served up on reputable banner ad networks mm, Okay. for part of that 2014 to 2016, just in 2016, uh, they have yeah. evidence of those things being served by reputable banner ads, which means that they were up on much more highly trafficked and highly trusted sites. I have seen like a few of these kind of things go on, like DeviantArt had uh, a hit. I think like five or six years back, but yeah, their banners like were malicious, mm-hmm. probably in the same exact way, like embedded JavaScript. And I think there were a few other like websites yeah. at the same time were kind of having this issue. Around that 2016 time, if I remember right, there was actually a fairly big scare about those banner ad networks. Mm-hmm. I had I remember one site having a significant problem because exploits were tracked back to banner ads that they were serving up. I don't want to name what's in my head because I'm not sure that it's the one that actually right. had a problem. Yeah. And I don't want to put that out in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if you own names, you own everything, like you were saying at the very at the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. So there is some engineering that 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 uh deals with that on a local network on an enterprise that you ran. What are the kind of things that you might do to stop this from happening? I mean, you can go the cumbersome route and fill up your host file with just literally everything. That I don't even know if you could do that, <laughs> but I can tell you that from, I mean, you know that I do a lot more firewall engineering work than you mm-hmm. do. One of the standard things is to have your own internal DNS resolver and blocking all other outgoing DNS traffic. Did this one also infect internal clients though too with the mm-hmm. yeah, it would, yeah. So it, so you would have a client that got infected and it would be given a DNS configuration to use external IPs as a resolver. So if that hijack happens and you have a firewall at your boundary... Oh, I, okay. I, I'm sorry. I, I thought it was both running a DHC server, DHC well, server, but also running a DNS server no, internally it, with bad no, results. Okay. No, it it just configured the IPs of the DNS server... Of to the, point to a different name server. To Yeah, to point to a okay, different name it. server. And that firewall engineering uh, will... If you block outgoing DNS for all of your clients, except for your DNS resolver, nobody can go directly to a malicious DNS server. Yeah, and I guess that would raise eyebrows with um, the firewall techs if they suddenly noticed there were a lot of DNS requests going from VLAN to VLAN all internally. Well, yeah. Wait a second. We don't yeah. even run a DNS server. Um, and I'll tell you that that that's a fairly sophisticated or a fairly 
deep firewall implementation you're talking about if you're in a situation where you're actually monitoring the network to network traffic within mm -hmm. the user networks of, of your system. Usually the first step is a boundary firewall. The next step is you'll put a DMZ in that boundary firewall if you're ever serving things up that needs external access. And then the third step might be to put a firewall between your user network and your server network. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing that, if these are kind of the more or less best practices, at least the, the standard implementations of how you go about these things. If you had that traffic going from one user network to another user network or just within the user network, you're not going to see it at the firewall level. Mm -hmm. And DHCP being a broadcast protocol stays within the local broadcast network, it would only be within the VLAN. It wouldn't traverse the router or firewall uh, at the network level. Right. Okay. So from a detection point of view, you might not see this except when it went out your boundary. Hmm. But it's very easy to recognize that traffic if your only authorized outbound DNS is your DNS server. Yeah. Another thing that we do, we can do generally, a more general, robust internet-wide way of dealing with this, which helps you when you bring your laptop to the coffee shop, is DNSSEC. Right. Because DNSSEC does a signature validation of the responses. The problem kind of there is because DNSSEC isn't universal, you're susceptible to a downgrade attack where if you make a request that isn't signed, your system will still do that. Mm -hmm. In fact, there were some people that used an attack against Bonjour, which, is, which Apple uses for name resolution, people going onto Wi-Fi networks that they, that they had access to, open Wi-Fi networks, and they broadcast the Bonjour hello and get people to resolve through them in a coffee shop network. Right, Isn't right. the same kind of robust exploit the world kind of thing that this is, but yeah. it would let you target somebody at least on the same wireless network as you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's more of a problem on open wireless networks than it is on anything that's WPA because WPA has WPA and WPA2 both have uh, a unicast channel between the host and the access point. Uh, whereas WEP had the same problem as just an open wireless does because once you have the key, you can see all the traffic that's being broadcast. Right, right, yeah. That was actually one of the big advancements of WPA, not to get too far off of the DNS topic. <laughs> um, we will do an episode about uh, that goes in a little bit deeper into DNSSEC, but I have some other things that I, that I want to talk about on that one. Um, so you said you've seen, you've done things where you've hijacked other people's DNS on their local network. Have you seen an ISP prevent you from resolving through, uh, through anybody else? Not resolving through anyone else. I mean, I constantly always see the advertisements on YouTube of like, hey, you can watch Rick and Morty on Netflix in Europe, but not here. Yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've seen those sort of things, but never, um, never, I don't think them just stopping me from resolving. Well, I've actually seen that at my brother's place. I was trying to help him with some of his network setup and his provider wouldn't let me set up resolution to any of the DNS servers, like the famous 8.8.8.8 .8 .8 .8 server that google runs and there's a few a handful of other ones oh they were like actively on. blocking those? yes huh interesting so it wasn't just that they were controlling whoever went with the defaults but they were also controlling anybody else oh uh, that's messed up yeah because i you know sometimes we'll just use 8.8 especially yeah. if i think there's an issue and like for some reason a lot of my web pages aren't loading there was one time i was playing on the old xbox 360 and a friend of mine was texting uh, he couldn't get on he was using the same 
ISP as me, but I had set my system up to resolve to 8.8.8.8 and their DNS servers were down for some reason. Uh, yeah. Never explained why, but the fact was that that their DNS servers is what was screwing with his ability to get yeah. online yeah. with his Xbox. And I just, as a brainstem function, set up the 8.8.8.8 resolver on my Xbox. I think I had that issue one time with World of Warcraft where I couldn't log in and it was, yeah, it was a DNS resolution that I just couldn't find my server. So that's the story of uh, Operation Ghost Click and how when it goes fairly right, but it still takes years to take these guys down. I wish the name was uh, the C-L-I-Q-E-1 because <laughs> that would just mean it's like a very like clickish uh, group of ghosts. Well, then we wouldn't be good enough to see their malicious ads. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon.